I know I'll go back to the gym eventually. I just, it's just not now. So, but you look good though. I know. <laughs> That's why he's not at the gym. He, knows he already looks good. <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. What's up? Hey, guys. Real quick, out of nowhere, I cleaned my house the other day, and it's still clean, and I'm really pleased about that. That's That's how I do cleaning. Clean it once, and then just maintain. I cleaned it really well. It took all day. And just before I ran, I walked into my room to get my microphone and I was like, what happened in here? But then I was like, oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even recognize your own room. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what the kiss of death in a bedroom is? A chair. Why? Oh, things get placed on it. (laughs) Any flat surfaces. You have to eliminate flat surfaces. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's so horrible about that? Well, you can simply hang things up <laughs> oh come on who has the time i do i'm that person uh, can i tell you a <laughs> slightly separate topic but <laughs> when i was starting my school in 2002 and i had folks come in they were going to install the lockers and you know it was a million things going on all these renovations someone comes up to me and says do you want the lockers to have flat tops or slanted tops i again million things going on i was like i don't know flat tops whatever that was the worst decision I ever made. I want you to think about a middle school with flat tops on top of lockers for students to put hats, gloves, coats, homework, the things that got left. I actually had to assign a staff member to do what I called locker sweeps every week <laughs> oh. of just like taking stuff off and then doling it back out. Well, what an go. awful mistake. Could have been life. solved by the technology of slanted tops. Flat top yes. lockers though, it, they it was in itself a job creator. Look, you had someone <laughs> going <laughs> doing the work. You know what I'm saying? Next time they say unemployment is up, I'm going to be like, I have an idea. <laughs> You've <Yeah>. just exposed. <laughs> You're right. You just exposed that. It's true. And your tax dollars were at work yeah. paying for someone to clean off the tops of lockers. <laughs> After absent-minded adolescence. You know what? Um, Trisha lived with me for a year, like a billion years ago in New York. And we would split up the cleaning tasks. And I'd be like, okay, one of us gets the kitchen and one of us gets the bathroom. And I was always like, I'll do the kitchen. And Trisha was always like, I'll do the bathroom. And both of us always, I felt like we always felt we got the better end of that stick. I, I certainly did because grease went everywhere in the kitchen and you were wiping down surfaces after surfaces. And you know the bathroom? Once you get rid of the toilet as an issue, it's all good. Well, the, 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 uh, the shower, there's something psychologically about a dirty shower because you're in there naked. <laughs> I mean, but I would just clean the bathroom while I showered. It's the best way. Yeah, that's true. You're already spraying water on everything. That's right. Yeah, you just I go in there, but I mean, of course, I would basically pass out from the fumes. <laughs> Imagine Trisha's naked body in the tub, water running, you know, Clorox with bleach like spilling down the drain. Oh my god! Can I tell you though? I was uh, I was recently at a hotel, and you know they give you that thing that you put in the bottom of your tub, but I decided to, to skip it. The stopper thing, you know, mm. the, the little slip. And so I was like, I don't need it. My gosh, I was getting in the tub and in the shower mid mid rubbing down my body. And I had a slip and I had to grab like you would not believe. Luckily, it was like a handicapped bathroom. Oh, my God. I just had visions of myself. (laughs) Bloodied and messy. (laughs) And dead, probably. But I was just like, in that, it was like that quick. Because like, I literally, I was like, you know, when you're slipping, I felt mm-hmm. the pain later. You know, when you slip and you, um, and your body just ricochets and you grab on tightly. And then later on, you're in pain and you're like, what happened? But that was just like a quick flash of my life falling right before my eyes. I cannot think of a, no, there are definitely less dignified ways to die, but that is. <laughs> I know. I, I just. Slipping like, in the slipping, shower. 
slips and falls terrify me. I, I go to this Korean spa at deeper in Queens and there's like, like the men's area where uh, like all the guys go and it's like all spas and you hang out, whatever mm-hmm. pools and dads will bring their sons in there and the kids are little mm-hmm. and they'll run like Ooh. from pool to pool. And every time they do, all I can, all I can do is like, oh my God, they're going to slip. Cause everything <laughs> porcelain, everything, everything. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm like, this is going to be the moment. I mean, I don't want to get too graphic. I've, I've had a long career working with kids in a lot of different situations. Suffice it to say, I've heard the sound of a head Oof. hitting something hard and unyielding very hard. It's not what you think it sounds like. It's very disturbing. And it's like, it's stuck in my head. And whenever I see those kids run, I'm like, no, 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 please, God, no. Uh, so, America, stop your kids from running, period. No running. No running. Kids always run around a pool too. Although I guess that's Darwinian. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe pools are just in places where folks are playful. <laughs> You're gonna make that mistake probably exactly once. <laughs> I mean, then they're dead. So. <laughs> and on that note, let's yeah. have some topics. Great start. Uh, Great morbid start to the conversation. <laughs> let's talk about cheating, Jason. <laughs> So I'm sure all of our listeners have heard that there has been this cheating scandal. And I think the reaction is one part delight because it's very rich people getting caught violating the law. And then one part uh, just disgust at people uh, of privilege, just getting more privilege in dishonest ways. So of course we have a bunch of college students now from, as I said, relatively rich families who we now know are there, the FBI has uncovered, are there under false pretenses. Their parents bribed people or paid a firm who in turn bribed people in some cases, lied about whether the students were athletes, whether they were going to be on certain athletic teams, in some cases had SAT scores changed or had other people take the SAT for them. It runs the whole gamut. There's been this kind of evolving reaction to that. I'd love to pose the question to you two. There there are kind of a couple of parts to this that we could talk about. One is, is this really any different from the status quo any day of the week where rich families are constantly finding ways to buy access to college for their kids, especially to quote elite unquote colleges? Is it really any different? And then the other interesting thing is, you know, some years ago we had this cheating scandal in Atlanta. Now this was on test scores uh, in K-12 It was actually educators who were changing the scores so that Atlanta looked like it was doing much better and individual schools looked like they were doing much better than they were in terms of student achievement. And that case actually led to several educators going to jail and even going to prison. There were some pretty extensive sentences. And that was that was an interesting situation. It was obviously awful, the cheating and everything. But I remember there being this kind of public like gasp, like, whoa, they're actually going to send people to prison over changing test scores. And, you know, those educators tended to be African-American public school educators, very different demographic than it sounds like we're talking about rich white parents with the current scandal. So I think that's the other question is, how does this compare with that with that other scandal? And what do we think is, for lack of a better term, equitable in terms of what happens to these parents? Everyone already knows, like the reason why, not the reason why we care about this, but I feel confident saying this. The reason why we care about this is that Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin, who plays Aunt, <laughs> Aunt, Laughlin, who plays Aunt Becky on Full, Fuller House. Aunt Becky, it's perfect. They were arrested <laughs> um, because they paid to get their kids. And the thing that when this first broke and the three of us were speaking about it, I was like, well, okay, yeah, they paid for their kids to get into school. Isn't that always what they do, Right. But it wasn't just paying, it wasn't like donating like the Laughlin wing or like the Huffman research building. It's everything that you said, Jason, like literally paying people to take tests, to falsify records. At one point to, I don't know if it was Huffman or Laughlin, but one parent photoshopped pictures of their child on the water polo team. I mean, yeah. can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, the, the lengths, it just seems almost comical when it almost seems comical given that in my mind, I just feel like if I approached Yale 
and let's say my last name my last name was Gates, and I said, "Oh, I'd love for my son to get into Yale. I really hope he makes it." Also, here's forty five million dollars for a new science building. Anyway, ta. Like, I just feel like that makes the, that does it as well. So for me, this raised the question: is like, does that is that not how it works? Because I thought that is this. I thought this is precisely how it works. So I, I was a little taken aback by that, just about how cynical I was. And the fact that people actually did get rounded up and arrested, I'm going to be serious, really surprised me at this level. I think the public, non-cynically, I think is aware of the, 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 the scenario you pointed out. I'm going to give you a building, and then you're going to think positively about my relative. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the public, while they may not be excited by it, I think the public understands that these institutions do not get enough federal funds. And they do have to get money however they can. And so a building is going to positively impact other students. So it feels like a good trade-off, right? It doesn't feel as nefarious as as the current cheating scandal. It feels like a little bit quid pro quo, but at least there's a benefit. (laughs) This is singularly about the students. And I think this is why I think the scandal has kind of raised people's air in a way that the others, the other type of giving doesn't. Don't you think? I I have to admit, that's a very interesting point that I had not really considered about that benefit of, of those, of those donations. That's, um, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, <laughs> schools must get money somewhere, right? And we all know that federal federal um, monies for education has decreased substantially since the 60s and the 70s. And schools have to make their money. And I think we, we turned a blind eye because we sort of understand that now. But I, I don't know if everyone understands why, but they certainly know that there's never enough money on the table for education. I, I think the thing to add to that, you know, I'm just reading different commentary about this. What you laid out, Chris, the buying of the building, that is a, an extremely small segment of the population who can afford to do that. I mean, even among the rich, yep. you've got to be like uber rich. So you've got, as you said, like $45 million. You can just hand over to a school to have your name on, on the wing of a building. What's happened here, and I, don't, I haven't seen, maybe you two have, I haven't seen the, like how much money we're talking about, but presumably a lot more people could afford to do what these people did. Yeah, and for sure. That's scary because it's bad enough. And I think there's been some research that yes, the uber rich people who buy buildings or pay for buildings, um, you know, they are take they are taking spots from other students who are less affluent, uh, who, who want to go to that school and now can't because some other kids in their seat. The fact that you can do it this way too means is that many more students who are taking spots that don't actually deserve them. And to Trisha's point, and their family's not actually adding any value to the institution. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend about it this weekend. And, you know, I think the one percenters have gotten away with the school donation. But then she was saying, you know, now we've got to consider this 5% group. They look longingly at the one percenters and go, oh, I can't do that. How do we get that? It's like, I don't have 50 million, but I do have... 500,000? Will that do? How how, how far will that go? But but you know what? But then let's also go down. I mean, I I don't know if there was a recent um, news story, very very recent. And by the time this comes out, I think I'm curious where it goes. But you know something about how um, seven African-American students made it into Stuyvesant, like the the high-end public school in New York City, right? That is all the discussion right now. Right. It's all the rage. But I think about it as all really related. Right. Because one of the things that someone said is like, well, how are rich parents? So how are maybe more um, resource, well-resourced parents surrounding their kids? Right. With the tutoring, with the extra aid, all of that. So it's like I feel like there are these tiers of um, families with the right amount of money to do whatever is necessary. Well, I, They're I not wanna, cheating, right? But they have access to other resources, right? I want to completely disconnect what you're talking about with Stuyvesant, though, because it's a totally different conversation. The reason why that happens is that Stuyvesant, the way you get in there is test scores. That's it. Nothing else. Except so, it's not clean, me, though. It's not clean. Let me finish. So it's just test scores. So that school is pretty much like all Asian, why? There are factors. Why? 
that the Asian students, based on culture and access, do better on just those tests. And I think that's different than what we're seeing with this rich person scandal, because in that case, it's not money changing hands. There's a lot more structural reasons why only seven Black kids got in. And I think a lot of that is because they're only looking at test scores. That's a much bigger conversation than what we're talking about here. I think what I'm struggling to understand with this Huffman Laughlin drama, and it's not fair that their names are on it because there are a lot. <laughs> but it should. I love that it's there. I like that it is there. What I what I find interesting about this news story is that I think people are struggling to care, but they no. should care. They mm-hmm. really should care. No, you're. Do you agree? You, I, I disagree. Know. No, no, you haven't been reading the. Co- people are pissed. Who Which is you, pissed? Let me tell you. There is a reason why Laughlin was written out of Hallmark, right? Because if you, because who are, who's the audience for Hallmark? The I audience see what you're for, saying. In that. The audience for Hallmark are white, middle-class, right. working-class whites who really oh. believe in sort of the structure of the society, the fairness of the society. So when you read their commentary about her, you start to recognize that there is like a, there's a, there's a sort of underlying rage that is coming out around the sort of unfairness of it. Cause they're now talking is, about their kids, right? Is that about, is that about Lori Laughlin or and Felicity Huffman in particular? For instance, if there were not these two big A and C list stars attached to this, would people care that rich people are paying to have their kids get into private school? That's what I'm getting at. That's why I think I had to run up to care. If it, I see what you're saying about Laughlin is that she's losing endorsements because she has a certain mystique around her and aura like oh she's on fuller house like whatever it's it's all a fantasy but all of tv is i get that but if it wasn't them jason if it wasn't them you think it would have the kind of impact that the the story is going crazy do you think it would have the same impact or no certainly the celebrity portion makes it that much more kind of recognizable right you see their names in a headline and you click faster but i'm with trisha on this the students who are probably most immediately affected not only by these 50 parents, but the fact that I think we can all be sure this is happening well beyond the 50 who got caught by the FBI, right? The kids who are being affected are are largely, not entirely, but largely probably middle-class kids who go to suburban public schools and do pretty well on the SAT and feel like they should be able to get into a school like USC or Yale or Stanford, but they're being edged out by kids who aren't doing as well. I'm thinking what you were saying, Chris, about I'm sorry, what you were saying, Tricia, I think about what well-resourced families can do to help their kids get into schools with admissions requirements. It's one of the things that I think also makes this both awful and there's a little bit of evil delight in it, which is, oh my goodness, you had all this money and you still couldn't get your kid to a point that they could get into the school on their own. You could hire every private tutor. You could send your kid, you know, Chris, you and I met at CTY. You could send your kid to CTY every summer and you still had to cheat for them to get in. Your kid really didn't deserve (laughs) to be at that school. Imagine imagine your parents had $200,000 and they, they couldn't just hire you. Like, well, you know, how much would it, how much would you you two charge to go to someone's house every day for after school from like three thirty to seven o'clock and tutor them? I mean, would it be less than quarter of a million dollars? But you know what? Right. But but you know what's also what's also revealed there is is the fact that they had the opportunities to provide those things to their kids, and their kids might not have desired it. Right? That's the thing, because in some ways. I mean, if we are if we are to believe all aspects of this, is that this parent the parents did this without the kids' knowledge, but that seems far fetched because some of the kids had to participate in certain things, right? And so, in my mind, it also indicates that there was such a lack of faith in their own children, right? It's like I I am wealthy as heck, and you don't have the chops, and so let me just use my wealth to clear this pathway because I don't think you could do it on your own. Oh, I agree with that. And the thing I will add, what's fr- so frustrating to me is that why is it so essential your kid goes to one of these schools? Like, look, they're really good schools, USC and your fair city, Trisha, great school. But come on, there are great state schools in these states. There are so many other schools. I, I am I am just shocked and I, I can't relate, but I am shocked that someone A, was willing to invest the amount of money they did, and B, was willing to violate the law and be so dishonest just so they could go to these particular schools and not the next tier down. We had a discussion about it. Um, I was talking to some, because, you know, I'm trying to, I was trying to get that too, because similar to Chris, right? Maybe, maybe not quite Chris's cynical take, but I was like, why not just give them the cash so they can live their lives, right? 
But I think someone revealed to me that maybe this five percenter believes in the gospel of education more than we even do, right? Because they think of education as an access to a certain type group of people. So even with all their wealth, they still need to have their child stamped by this external space, right? And then also the possibility, because if you think about the, like, for example, the Jared Kushner thing, right, which was a building, why would Jared Kushner need to go there? But, you know, Jared, for Harvard, in in that example, the idea was that his father donated a building and therefore he was able to get in. I didn't know. To Harvard. And similarly, JFK Jr., right? Um, And so the question is why? But the reality is you still need access to the people in those exclusive spaces. Because when you are, um, when you need a researcher who has um, maybe your similar point of view, but they can give you the legitimacy that academia gives you, you can, you can recount and pull out this business card of someone you had met there, right? And so I think it's the same thing for this 5% group. It's like they still need access to that space because they still want ascendancy too, right? They feel like they that's a space where it's going to allow them to meet the right people too. Because hello, wealthy people still need to meet the right wealthy people, right? I, I Those things back. play out too, I think. I want to step back to something that you said earlier. You know, them, the parents paying for their kids to get into the school is probably the conclusion or at least it's another step along the way of them paying for their kids to do a lot of things. Yep. So I'm not so certain that this is like an instant where it's like the kid is suddenly like, I had no idea that you were doing this. You know, I think as starting as far back as preschool or maybe before yep. that, like ballet or gymnastic classes, like they have been paving the way. So they just seemed like th- this is what you do. Um, to your point about like being able to access rooms where people are referring to you saying, well, he's a Yale man like me. I I don't know because I don't move in those sorts of circles. And I always assume that if you have enough money, you can get in there. I mean, Donald Trump Jr., uh, Donald Trump Sr., uh, any of the Trumps, really. Like if you have enough money, people, you can push your way into rooms. So it's possible that the five percenters do also pray at the altar of higher education. But that would surprise me. It really would. Especially I... I happen to know a little bit about Felicity Felicity Huffman because I happened to hear her on a podcast right before this thing broke. She was also born rich. Like I think her father was a, I don't want to stay because I don't remember, but I I know that she had a bunch of money and she was a trust fund kid growing up. Mm. So all this to say, like, I'm sure this was just de rigueur to her family and to her kids. So I'm not actually certain that any of the kids were that surprised when this came out. How could they not have known? This has been their whole lifetimes. I agree. It's it's also hard for me to believe that the kids had no idea. They may not have known some of the details, but but you know, when you were talking, Trisha, it made me think part of it may be the higher ed. And I hear what you're saying, Chris, but I do think it's not just about meeting the people we're getting in the room. It's about having certain credentials. Like if you know your kid wants to run, you know, or or you want your kid to run the family business and you want them to have credibility in business you might want them to, to have that label of being the Yale alum or whatever. The other thing I wasn't thinking about until you were talking, Trisha, is it might also be less about the kids and more about the parents in terms of wanting to be able to say, oh yeah, my kid's at Yale. Oh yeah, we're going to New Haven next weekend to visit our kid at Yale because you, you just said that. And if I say, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to uh, whatever, College Station to, at, to state, you know, to visit our kids at state, then it's like, Oh, your kid didn't get into it. so it may it may be more about the parents' uh, social passport more than the kids. And I do think I mean, listen, I don't know if enough, I don't know if enough wealthy people, but I mean, does does it still sting if you're new money? I mean, it, do do you still need that sort of um, validation that comes from maybe offering access to your new money to old money? Like, I mean, like, I, because I, sometimes one of the things that people will say is that old money doesn't actually have any money, but they still have that name and that gravitas. And so maybe this is a space where people get to meet and solidify those connections. You know, I, 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 I and so to Jason's point, maybe it is just about the parents. And I completely agree with you, Chris. I think that the question of the children knowing what their parents have done it's probably not even something they can know, right? Because if the path has always been cleared for you by your parents, what is to know? If your parents starting from preschool on, getting you into the exclusive preschool, yeah. it's just been like, it's just been smooth sailing on a certain level. So you're not even aware that doors are being open for you. They've just always opened. Well, I mean, uh, 
I mean, now we're just surmising, right? Because I think we've wandered yeah. into the part of the conversation. Where we're all admitting that we don't know how that works on that echelon, but yeah, I don't, there's no details to know. You just say, Hey mom, I want to get into this dance class, like with this um, prima ballerina. And it just happens like a week later for a lot of these kids. So these kids are like, Oh, I'm really interested in wake forest which was on that list, which made me go, Wake Forest? But sure. Um, <laughs> Can I tell you, you know, someone actually to... tweeted that Wake Forest probably sent a PR firm to request that they be placed on the oh. list. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> so rude. Oh, my because, goodness. Because on some level, being listed is actually cachet. <laughs> yes, it is. But but yeah, if, if the kid's like, I want to go to Wake Forest, weirdly. You know, the parent goes, okay. And then it just happens. Like, as the details emerge, the kids are probably surprised at that. Like, oh, I didn't know that's what they've been doing my whole life. But clearly, they've been doing it. You know, clearly. Anyway. Uh, okay, can I, can, I just, can I just bring it back to really the core center, though? Like, aside from kind of the salacious aspect of this and the fact that, like, wealthy parents and wealthy people can get things, does this reveal anything about, like, structural inequality, though? Um, Yes. I feel like it, it sort of highlights that in the most kind of obvious way for us now without having to make the point over and over. The right? most obvious way that this highlights it is because you put, a, you put a black kid at Yale in that situation. People look at him and assume, oh, you're affirmative action. Oh, you got him because it was a set aside. You know, I do enjoy when the scab is ripped off and people can see, oh, no, wealthy white people are also there because someone made an accommodation for them. Like, as a matter of fact, it's not about race or it's not about uh, socioeconomic status. That's just how this works sometimes. And, and so that's, that's what I enjoy about, about this reveal is because like, no, every rich white kid there didn't get there on their own merits. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to get into a whole conversation about whether affirmative action, whatever works. I know Jason loves a quota. Um, <laughs> I do. I know I you do. love a quota. You're, I see you waving that pennant right there. So, you know, that's fine. But I do think it reveals like it does reveal structural inequality, like on its face, like that's why it's a story. Don't you think so? Jay? Yeah. Yeah. I think what it reveals, I don't know if I can say this succinctly, but I think what it reveals is that we are, I think we all already knew that our society is structured in such a way that it it gives some people enormous advantage. And the more advantage you have in one space becomes more advantage in another. That's something we knew. The fact that we see even among those who are so privileged and so advantaged that they are cheating to get more privilege and advantage or to maintain their privilege and advantage. I don't know that, that that's another level for me. Like it's that, it's that bad. Like our, our structure at its essence is already unfair. And then you have people violating the norms of that structure, making it even more unfair. It's just really in microcosm how the rest of society works, like how the capitalist economy works, right? The people at the top, they already have so much, but they're still scraping more towards them. Do you think this is as big a story in another time? Which time? I feel like this time has been so revealing of kind of craft and, or graph, I guess is that the word? And that it just feels like this is just another, another element added. And I just wonder if, it's just resonant and that's why it continues to ricochet. Like, you know, like you're saying it is a big story. Pre nineties, this would not have been a big story. Right. Because the nineties was this right. In a, yeah. in a certain way. The nineties was the beginning to, un- that was the starting to unmask this. Mm. The eighties, this, I mean, I'm Laughlin and Huffman would have been celebrated. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they would have gotten deals from this. They, I mean, I'm being a little facetious, yeah. but like, yeah, in the 80s, I don't think this is a, a big deal. In I feel like in the 80s and in the early 90s, this would have been seen as a success that you were able to get your kid mm. Uh, mm. In, into these uh, elite institutions and wait for and Wake Forest. So I can't with you. <laughs> I can't with Wake Forest University trying to pretend like. Okay. Anyway, I hate to um, say this, but it just underscores what we said before. It's like, oh my god, you had all that money and you you couldn't help your kid legitimately get into Wake Forest. You had to bribe your way in. That's so awful. Oh, it's just so awful for those poor kids, but they're rich. They'll be fine. Um, Moving (laughs) on. Let's talk about vote shaming. So this has been on my mind for a really long time and I'm very excited 
to discuss it. So vote shaming is uh, the practice of literally shaming people for not voting. Like, oh, you didn't vote in this election? Asking people whether they voted. In Pennsylvania in May, people, voters got something in the mail that reminded them to vote, reminded them how they voted if they voted in the last three elections, and also gave them the same data about their neighbors. (laughs) Now, there is some evidence that vote shaming works and that it gets people out to the polls, but there's a large contingent of people who thinks that, one, this is super creepy. Two, it may, it may encourage people to vote, but it also changes voter behavior because by continuously reminding people that their votes are public records, like um, it may stop people from voting for the, the progressive or conservative candidates they would otherwise vote for if they live in a community that doesn't necessarily swing that way. And lastly... Um, I've become aware just on the internet reading things is that there's a contingent of black people, black thinkers who are encouraging other black people not to vote as a form of protest saying that, you know, your ancestors didn't die to vote. They died uh, fighting a racist, racist and white supremacist structure. And by voting, you're continuing to participate in that racist and white supremacist structure. So there's a lot there. What do you think, Trish? I mean, the first... Well, obviously, the first thing I think about when I and when you introduce this topic is why do people vote? Right, that was my first thought. I was like, and does um, does vote shaming butt up against that? Right, um, and I, <laughs> you know me, I'm a fan of public shaming. I think it's a very a very useful Jesus. mechanism. I am because. I think psychologically it's really useful. I mean, because I, I think it's, you know, in-group, out-group dynamics, um, self-concepts are tied to people perceiving you a certain way. So I think public shaming is a super effective tool. Um, and, I, you know, it, on, on its initial face, I was like, that's not objectionable. Why should I, why should people be really upset if someone says, hey, don't forget to vote? I mean, I don't need to know the particulars of whether you can vote, but it's it's a thing I would think that one would encourage. But then I felt like it got a little, (laughs) I then thought about it as it extended to your neighbor, right? Suddenly (laughs) your neighbor being sort of privy to your voting behavior, that felt a bit invasive. Um, So I, I I mean, I winced at the campaign. I went, I winced at that aspect of it, but there was definitely a part of me that felt like public shaming could be an effective tool. And in some ways it is, right? It is. Um, So I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of undecided on it, to be honest. I really am. Jason, you're decisive. What do you think? <laughs> I know. First of all, I do agree with Trisha that I think shaming, generally speaking, can be very effective. And um, I actually think we have I stripped our shocked. society of it too much in some yes. areas. You um, too. I... <laughs> wow. What? I'm rocking. What? I just wish we had a production meeting about what your answers to these questions are going to be. I am... <laughs> I am completely (laughs) floored. No, Jason, please continue. But I need a moment. I want to get some water. So so generally, I'm pro-shaming when appropriate. And I think that shaming people you know for not voting, or or in theory, shaming people for not voting, in theory, I don't necessarily have a big problem with. I'm very frustrated when people say they don't vote. And even that argument that you know by voting, you're participating in a system that's rigged against you or whatever – I'd feel much better about that. Like not voting is not doing anything. Like you're not, you're not helping. So and then organize in such a way to try to change things. Great. But I just don't see what you're accomplishing by not voting other than abdicating your opportunity to have some impact. All that said, the, in this conversation, like I I have to separate the shaming versus how it's being done. So like the, the intrusive invasive, you know, messages and we've looked at your voting record, like that to me is just another symptom of the problem we have right now where all of our data is out there and it's all accessible and it can be utilized for all different purposes. Like that really bothers me. I mean, can I just tell you like yesterday, I don't answer my phone anymore if I don't recognize the number. And I think that's probably pretty common. I missed a really important call yesterday, but it's because I'm sick of these phone calls of all different types and vote shaming would just be another type. So vote shaming to me, okay. I don't understand the not voting but I really am uncomfortable with people, so many people having so much access to what I've done in the past and being able to share that with other people. So you're both pro-shaming. Yes. But it doesn't actually sound like either of you are, are pro-vote shaming. 
you're pro vote inquiring and and vote reminding. Yeah, because I think for me, I I believe public shaming is, a, is effective in 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 shaping. Yeah, you both made behavior. that clear. Yeah, yeah, but but the reason why in in shaping <laughs> people's behavior. However, I do know that voting is actually a task. It's a it's a it's actually a difficult task, right? It's not made easy, and so shaming people for something that is difficult makes me makes makes it problematic for me right that's the part of it that um is doesn't work for me but if you are automatically vo- registered to vote and the path is clear then public shaming makes a ton of sense then it's like you have given up a public obligation it's been made very easy when we really unmask the voting process and recognize how much work is done to prevent people from voting i just don't think that that's an effective tool i think it's much easier for you to have a conversation with someone about do they um do they have an interest in voting why haven't they voted um and then to sort of go down that path with people don't presume though that voting is a given and is something that can be made easy especially in this society because as you said if it is a difficult thing to do um depending on who you are where you live and who you're going to vote for um and if we lived in a country where it was a national holiday if we lived in a country where it was easier to vote, then I think I would be okay with that. Not necessarily information about who I voted for and when and where, but the but then challenging people about whether they voted or not, especially if you had the whole day off to do it, et cetera, then I'd understand that. But, you know, there was an article in the Washington Post on this, and in that it was people tweeting their quote-unquote success stories about challenging people who work in drive-through windows and bellhops and waitresses and and people who work in construction about whether they voted like people who may not have the luxury because it is a luxury to find the time to go vote on one day when they might have to be at work there's a lot of structural barriers to that and let's not even get into you know when your vote's not even counted like what happened in georgia um when stacy abrams um was robbed well i I still think the right solution to all this is compulsory voting. That is still something I would support. I think it would completely flip this conversation on its head, both the conversation of access as well as, I mean, then you're not shaming, you're actually penalizing, and I'd be all for that. Well, let's talk about that. What are the few things in the U.S. that are compulsory, and how effectual is that? Isn't public education, isn't education like attending school? Yeah, you'll go to jail if you don't. And how does that work out for us? Well, your kids will be taken away if you. If you I don't. know, but isn't it still structurally challenging for people? Even though it's compulsory, we close schools. You know what I mean? So it's like the again, everything has to be prepared around it. If you're going to make something compulsory, then you damn sure better make sure it's easy for people to execute this compulsory ask, right? No, that's fair. I mean, I I definitely think it should be a national holiday. I definitely think I'm very supportive of the early voting like the longer periods of time so i do think we should make it easier for sure i also think we should make it compulsory and and that part of sorry go ahead just to add on that i think we should have one system i know that would vex 50 different state state legislatures but like we should just have one system i just want to interject here that in my entire time as an adult i've never encountered an error at the atm machine i know ever and um, I just throw that like, oh, they throw their hands up. Oh, these voting machines, they're so hard. <laughs> Aren't they? Aren't they hard? Imagine a machine you only need to use once every four years versus something I'm at like twice weekly. And it's never had an error. So I, I always find that interesting. It's an N of one. But I ask you listening to this podcast right now, how many ATM errors have you had in your lifetime? It happens. But the in the volume time used it, like what's that percentage? And I think that's part, I think that's why ultimately I reject voter shaming because there are processes in place to actively block you from enjoying this right that you, that we have supposedly fought for. So I just, um, I can't shame you for something that <laughs> whole swaths of people are working <laughs> to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um, I always say that same thing about um, voting, Chris, and, um, and ATM machines. I just, I think if the, if the interest was there to make sure that everyone voted and that their votes counted, then I think we're having a whole different kind of conversation. Yeah. We just, but right now the way that it's set up, there is so much like psychological 
challenge for a person to vote. Like you have to, there's a lot of heavy lifting that you have to do. Structural, legal, physical. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Like I think what you're both saying, there is lots of truth to. I will say the first article I think you sent us, Chris, to read about this. The writer was very clear. I saw the polling place. I walked right by. Could have gotten in line. I'm not voting because I'm protesting and I don't like people shaming me. Personally, I'm fine with people shaming that person. Now, look, he. I also, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but some of this gets to like the, you know, a long time ago, we had a conversation about trigger warnings and that kind of thing. Part of me is also like, look, so people made this comment to you. Suck it up. Like if you're confident in your decision not to vote, then who cares? I have like, to agree. Yeah, so I just think, so like for people who, who don't have barriers, that the place is right down the street and they could do it and they're choosing not to, I... Freedom of speech. Someone wants to shame you for it. That's fine. Go for it. Shame them. I mean, I guess I, I can I can sort of agree with that on on its face. But um, does the voting matter? I mean, that's a different topic. I mean, you would that's think, a- but it isn't though, because that's what <laughs> because that's what makes that man that's what makes that person walk by an easily accessible voting booth. Right? What is going on psychologically in that person? Yes, maybe he's protesting, whatever, but there's a perception problem there, right? It's not all the structural ones that we're talking about. Because, like, you know, prisoners who, like, I think one of the examples is like a prisoner going in line multiple times, trying to, an ex an convict going into the line, trying to get his vote because he identifies that as some some marker that he now is a part of society. So the I think there's some like incentives structures in voting that you have to deal with psychologically too. There's a reason why that person felt comfortable walking by an easily accessible voting booth. Something has shifted there too. So we that's why I meant when I say that you have to talk about the structural barriers that are get in the way of people voting and some of the psychological ones too. Because what did we know at the last election? Like a third of the people didn't vote at all. Capable of voting and didn't vote at all. And so that merits investigating. I don't know if you would, I mean, if it's compulsory, does that number decrease? Obviously, because there's a rule, they'll just do it, right? (laughs) But but I still think you wouldn't get everybody voting. (laughs) No, I agree. We would not. You would not get everyone. Still get more, you know? You get more, more, for sure. You definitely get more. In wrapping this up, uh, I'm, I'm glad to know you two are into public shaming. I feel like that is a, I think that's a facet of both of you that I didn't know that you were so... Uh, energized about it. Do you know what's so interesting about that? We've had this conversation enough times for you to have known that. The Louis C. C. (laughs) conversation. It's all all coming together for me. That you (laughs) two are like really big on like a whole like put people in stocks and throw tomatoes at them. Like I I'm becoming the come it's coming together. I get a clearer picture. I mean I think you gotta be careful. It's gotta be based it's gotta be based on behavior, not you know identity or anything like that. And it needs to have a clear goal. Like there's a clear behavior you're trying to change. It's not just, you know, whipping up a mob to, you know, denounce something. I mean, it has to be careful. Well, let me just ask. I mean, just related to public shaming as an, as a, as an activity, isn't there an element of that in public health um, campaigns? Yeah, but there's, okay. But when it comes to, well, hmm, that's very interesting. There's no, it's, there's no room for error there though. But then I guess some would say there's no room for error with voting as of one third of the population didn't vote. And then there were very real life consequences to that. I feel like public shaming when it comes to vaccinations and the rest of it, the, the consequences can be so severe. I mean, because we've, you know, just in relation, right. You let's think about the, the anti-vaxxers and I'm not, it's not a separate topic, but I'm talking about public shaming aspect. We should be shaming those people for not believing science. And right? we do. And we do. I do personally. <laughs> I go door to door. So you're okay with public shaming to some degree. I'm, I'm okay with public shaming when it saves lives. And I guess you can say the same thing with voting. It's just a less direct connection. Yeah. But like when it comes to health and saving lives, like the fact that babies die because you're like, I'm, I'm a hipster and I don't want to vaccinate my kids. Meh. You know, like Sunbeam doesn't need to protection from measles. I'll feed them guava beans. The Sunbeam. And you're like, like, I mean, the no, names I'm, are apt. The names are very apt. I'm going to come for you in that case. 
you're insane and you're killing people. All right. But real, um, quick, yeah. real quick, Chris, right. I remember you sending us, this is a while back. You were very excited about what people were doing on Facebook when people posted racist things and people were like showing that to their employers. That is absolutely that's, public that's shaming. Not, that that is not public shaming. shaming. That's taking responsibility for the things that you say. No, but it's it's an act of shaming them, right? You have to then, by extension, you've um, you are shaming them to their employer, right? That's yeah. what that is. I feel like that's different. Like, <laughs> no, because in the sense that, like, if I'm going to say something in a public forum, sure, right? That's different than me voting in a booth and then my neighbors finding out who I voted for and when. That I feel like that's that's different. You know, like if you're going to say something on Facebook, like I think black people are animals. And then I just tell your employer, Hey, this guy said black people are animals in a public forum. I think that's, that's different. If someone, if I heard at a bar, like someone said to me in a conversation, something uh, like that, I wouldn't call their employer and let them know. I would just disengage and move on. But if you saw fit to go on YouTube and say it, Oh yeah, I'm I'm going to make sure that goes wide. I think, I think, I mean, to, to roll this up together, I, I don't agree with the actual shaming of who people voted for. That seems weird because that is your right to do what you want to do. But I believe in the idea of you have the right to vote. You have the capacity to vote. It has been made easy for you and you did not vote. Why didn't you? That's shame on you. Question. Shame on you. But I'm not going to be shame on you. You voted for ABCD. That's like, that's getting into another but That's the logical extension. That's the logical well, extension. I mean, once, it's a logical once, extension for people who do those kinds of once things. Once the information's available, it's that's where it's going to go. Did you vote? Well, who'd you vote for? Who'd you vote well, for? Well, that's just that? me trying to figure out if I'm living next door to a Nazi or not. <laughs> oh, that was you know, bad. Uh, what is it, right. the Godwin principle? <laughs> if you talk long enough, someone's going to mention Nazis. Um, Listen, but nowadays we know that it's not clear they're evil. So that used to be oh, the that God. used to be what you used to end That's it, right? You used to say Nazis, and everybody goes, "Yeah, let's get them." Yeah, you'd be like, "You're a Nazi," and everybody's like, "No, I'm going to back away." Now you say you're a Nazi, and they go, "Well, actually, I am." Okay, but no, I think Trump is the first president who didn't simply say, "Oh, yeah, Nazis were really bad when they marched." He was like, "Well, some, some of them are good. Some of the Nazis are good people." Um, um, on that, let's uh, move into recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience, Trisha. Oh, my gosh. So um, it is season three of Queer Eye. And I have to say, I think this is the best season yet. I'm still in the middle of it. I just finished episode six. And it is just delightful. I am so happy that they have moved away from Queer Eye for the straight guy and just made it queer eye so they can transform all sorts of people. Because to be honest, these guys transforming black women's lives have been some of the best episodes. I ever know had. what episode you're talking about. Uh, yes. I am <laughs> audience. If you see no other episode, season three, Jones episode sisters. five with Jess. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the Jones sisters. That's no, the what... Jess one is the black lesbian. But the one, but the uh, the Jones episode is just as fantastic. But you know what? To be honest, all the episodes have been so touching. I think you know. I think when the first time I recommended this was maybe season one, and I was just talking about how the these boys allow people to access their emotional lives. Lives that is what is so compelling, and you don't get that on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, God, if you just want to treat yourself, put on Queer Eye for the. St- not for the street guy. Oh, anymore. you almost did it. Almost queer eye. <laughs> Season three. Wonderful. Wonderful episodes. Wonderful. I want to say I met Karamo Brown last week. Oh. Um, yep. He's tall. Yeah. And he gave me a very deep personal hug to the point where I was uncomfortable because I was like, I don't know you like that. Like he was. You know what? He seems like that. He was I met very him much too. like that. And he He's smells very great. much like that. He smells great. <laughs> he does. He smells great. He's very handsome and he smells great. Jason, I'm still reflecting on Trisha saying that there's a group of people whose value goes beyond what they do for straight men. I have to reflect on that. So, okay. so now, it's, now it's my turn. Anyway. Uh, no, no, I have a good one this time. I have a good one. I'm excited this time. Okay. So remember, you should have one every other week. That is the assignment. <laughs> so well, this time. So I meet expectations. Go. I watched. Sorry to bother you. Oh, oh, my goodness. I loved that movie so much. Oh my goodness. I loved it. I can't wait for that filmmaker to make more films. 
It's my recommendation. Oh, people have loved that movie. Do you want to talk about it at all for context? Or just <laughs> Do you want to mention at all what it's about? Who's in it? Do you give some give some people something, Jason? Give the people what they want. Oh, where do I start? It is start with who's in it and who made it. Why don't you start there? Um. So Boots Riley is his name. Yeah. Is that right? Boots Riley. Bo- Boots Riley, who is, has been an artist for a long time, but <clears throat> this was his first uh, feature film. Wrote and not only wrote and directed it, but wrote all of the songs in it. And the music is awesome and very eclectic. Oh my goodness, it's so good. And um, it, it's it's uh, it's different. You know, I was reading the reviews of it, and they talk about how it's. Critics really liked it, but they said it kind of gets to be a mess. I didn't think it was a mess at all, but it's very different. What I'll say is it is kind of a socialist critique of working life in our country and telemarketing. And it is is funny. It is a little scary. Um, Tessa Thompson is awesome in it. Always. Uh, It's it's so good. Cool. Cool. I like that. I like that, too. I am going to recommend a, another podcast, actually. It's a podcast called Nancy, which focuses on the economics around being queer, as those are the best episodes anyway. So it's um, the focus on LGBTQ people, and it is really focused on how being LGBTQ um, changes your planning when it comes to your finances. It changes the way that you interact at work, the way that you interact with the econosphere. And it's been really, well, one, instructive to me as a queer person, but it's been really interesting listening to people just talking about um, how being gay or queer impacts your health care. Um, we talk about this all the time about where you might want to retire, about what marriage means for you discrimination in the workplace and how that affects where queer people can work. And the episodes are short to like 20 minutes. So it's perfect for a walk to the subway. If you live in a place like New York or DC, not in LA, don't take the subway in LA at all. That's not a good idea. But anyway, just check it out. Nancy, any of the episodes that they're, they're really, they're pretty interesting. There it is. Those are our recommendations. Fantastic. There it is. Yeah. There it is. America. You have it. Jason. Good job. I'm going to see that movie based on your recommendation. Oh, you That's should. You I'm would love it. it too. But I haven't seen it, but people people say that they love it, so I am I'm signed up. I will uh, share the I will share my um, my favorite sociologist's um, conversation about it. She had, whole, she had a whole chat about it. I want to see that. Yep. Oh, I'll check it out. People love that movie. Uh, oh, well, anyway, thank you all for listening. And on that note, bye. 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 bye.